Hello and good morning. It is Eric Erickson here. How are you? The Eric Erickson Show across the nation. The phone number 404. No, that's the wrong. Man, I keep doing this to you guys. One day you're going to have my cell phone number the way this is going. 877-97-ERIC. 877-973-7425. Glad to have you with me this morning. And, you know, this is one of those random turns of events where occasionally I become the news story and did not intend to be your news story today. And yet here we are with me being the news story, and uh, it, it's just wow. Um, was didn't see that who saw this coming? Uh, now, what am I talking about? Well, so just just so everybody is aware here of what has happened, um, I am a, not just a radio show host. I also, for years, ran a one of the it was for a while the most widely read center of right. Uh, blog or, or website on Capitol Hill called Red State moved over to the Resurgent uh, at the beginning of 2016. I've been on TV a lot, CNN, HBO, NBC. Uh, I've been on ABC and CBS as well. Fox News. I was with CNN for three years. Fox for five years. I've been on Meet the Press fairly regularly. And well, I, I did something this weekend that I thought was a a good gesture and it turned into a thing, uh, and it kind of became the big story on Sunday. Uh, there is, uh, so I live in Macon. For those of you not in Macon, I live in Macon, Georgia. Uh, and there are two teenage brothers in middle Georgia who have put together crosses, and they're selling the crosses. Now, they are not alone. There is a, a campaign called Faith Over Fear, and there's a group in middle Georgia, a Faith Over Fear group in middle Georgia. And people are putting crosses in their yards. None of us can go to church on Easter this year. Uh, it is Holy Week. And so people are putting crosses in their yard for Holy Week in lieu of going to church. And uh, people, some people are putting eggs in windows. Some people are putting bears in windows. A lot of people putting crosses in their yards. And a lot of people are decorating those crosses, many of them decorating them with lights. I've got several neighbors who took out their Christmas lights and wrapped the crosses in Christmas lights. So that's what I did. I wrapped my cross in Christmas lights, uh, an Easter cross with Christmas lights, just just the, the, the full coming together. And all I could think uh, was the verse in the Bible about uh, the light coming into the darkness from John 1. Uh, and it is particularly at this time of year when you're meditating on on Scripture, there you go. In the beginning of the was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Uh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. You, you think of this verse, these verses, the light shines in the darkness, the darkness has not overcome it. I, I put the cross in the yard, uh, as did a bunch of other neighbors, and like many of my other neighbors, including the people across the street and the people up the street and the people in the back of the neighborhood, wrapped it in Christmas lights. Uh, those of you who are on the live stream, I'm going to show you a picture of it. Uh, and the, the issue was, I put it on Instagram and left-wing trolls decided it looked like I had a burning cross in my own yard. First of all, what, 
Klansmen burns a cross in their own yard. That that should be number one. And then number two, it, it's a cross with Christmas lights. I, I said as much that I put on the lights. The, these young men are selling these crosses, and they're taking the money, $20 piece. I actually gave him 40 bucks for one cross. He sold them for 20, but I knew he was he was pouring his heart into it, so I, I gave him 40 bucks for the cross. They're using the excess money to buy snacks for hospital break rooms. So they're spending their own money to make the crosses and then taking the 20 bucks that they give and they're buying snacks for doctors and nurses in local hospitals. It's a great cause. So I put one in the yard. I wrapped it up in Christmas lights. And do you know what happened? Well, let me read you the Newsweek headline. Conservative radio host Eric Erickson criticized for placing burning cross in front yard. That That's Newsweek's headline. Conservative radio host Eric Erickson criticized for placing burning cross in front yard. Now, y'all, come on. Seriously? Uh, th- this is insane. And it, it, there have been several people who have reached out, but it's the perception. It's the perception. You know, there are a number of African-American families in the neighborhood who have done the same thing. But I listen, I get it. Uh, in the grand scheme of things, I am not a famous person. I, I occasionally get recognized even going through the airport. I have actually been yelled at while standing at a urinal in the Atlanta airport on more than one occasion, Bean. Uh, the, the security team at my radio station now makes me, actually, I, I'm the guy who has to gl- uh, go into the stall and close the door so people don't recognize me and yell at me while I'm, I'm using the bathroom in the airport. I had a guy follow me into a Chick-fil-A one time, an old guy followed me into a Chick-fil-A on, on Windy Hill Parkway in Atlanta and started yelling at me while I was using the bathroom. My boss said I should have turned and confronted him midstream. Nonetheless, um, so it, it, there is some level of notoriety in what I do, and, and the media these days is all about gotcha media. So it became a story. It, it, it actually did become a story. Uh, the tweet went viral, and I have been, you know, you know, there's that story in the Bible from Mark 5, and it's in the several of the other Gospels as well, where Jesus is confronted by two possessed men in a cemetery, and uh, they are possessed by demons. The demons obviously recognize Jesus as God, and he calls to them and says, what's your name? And the demons say, legion, for we are many. And they ask, could they be cast out into the pigs that are running down the hill, that are coming by? And random act of grace to demons from Jesus, he grants them what they want. They go into the herd of pigs, they run down the hill, they drowned in the water, and I am convinced that they all then got social media accounts, and that explains what you see on Twitter. I I, I tell you, uh, Marco Rubio, I noticed this phenomenon before. I commented on it this morning. Uh, when Marco Rubio quotes scripture on social media, you should see the trolls come forth uh, to attack him for daring to quote scripture. Uh, I, I put a cross in my yard along with a bunch of other neighbors in a in hush Siri, uh, in a, a faith over fear uh, campaign in middle Georgia and uh, people go out of their way to go insane. It is just crazy. Uh, but it became a story. It became a story that I am, I am a racist. I am a cross burner. Uh, the, the reporter, by the way, you should know this reporter at Newsweek has written a number of other stories critical of people, uh, on the right and people, who are conservative, prominent conservatives. They did, though, change the headline. Uh, where the, where's the revised headline here? Um, somebody sent it to me. Yes, here it is. Uh, the revised headline, which makes it kind of a nothing burger. Conservative radio host Eric Erickson accused of racial insensitivity 
for putting lights on cross in his yard. That's that's actually the revised headline uh, from Newsweek is that I was accused of racial insensitivity for putting lights on. So so the first headline, let's see. So I got across in the yard. The first headline is conservative radio show host Eric Erickson criticized for placing burning cross in front yard. And they change it to conservative radio host Eric Erickson accused of racial insensitivity for putting lights on cross in his yard for putting, how is it racially insensitive to put lights on a cross and who accused me of, of racial insensitivity? Random people you and I have never heard of on social media. One woman actually claims to be a sociology professor from the university of Washington who says, well, of course, you know what he meant. This is no accident. It's who he is. He's a conservative or some such. I mean, that was actually someone's tweet. That, that, of course, you know he did it uh, intentionally. Well, if I, of course, I intentionally strung Christmas lights on my cross for Easter so the light can shine in the darkness. But somehow, the, everyone wants to interpret sinners from others. Now, now, there's a lesson here, and it is the perfect lesson for Holy Week. Is You know, C.S. Lewis, now, I believe the story is apocryphal, but it's actually out there in books. But I have never actually been able to confirm that it actually did happen, and it's not well-sourced. So it's probably apocryphal, but perhaps it happened. I haven't actually pinned down the actual source, but I've read it in, in multiple locations that there was at Oxford University where Lewis ta- uh, taught, you know, Lewis, author of the Chronicles of Narnia, among other things, mere Christianity um, and, and several of the great Christian books. Uh, Lewis went into a gathering of people who were debating the great religions, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Shintoism, uh Zoroastrianism, you name it, Judaism, and here comes here comes Lewis, the Christian, and they ask Lewis, they say, what 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 do you think in your mind separates Christianity from all the other religions? Because ultimately, what these group of academics debating at Oxford came up with is all the religions are the same, and either they all reflect human experience, or there is a God who reflects Himself in each of these. And and Lewis comes up and he says, grace, Christianity is the only religion with the concept of grace, and. You know, I've actually looked into this, and he actually is right. Uh, Christianity is the one religion with a with a concept of grace that is not shared by others. In fact, every religion out there, for example, has a copy of the Golden Rule. Uh, and what the Golden Rule is for each of these religions is is a negative. Do not do. Do not do to others what you do not want them to do to you. Do not do it. Uh, you, you find echoes of this throughout the major world religions, and it is almost karmic, uh, the, the idea of karma. You, you do bad things, bad things are going to happen to you. You do good things, good things are going to happen to you. Uh, Christianity turns the, the, the prevailing sentiment on its head uh, where it's not uh, do not do to others. It is do to others. Do to others what you want them to do to you. It is an affirmative call for someone of faith to go out and do good things for other people, not just to refrain from doing bad things. Uh, it, it's the reverse of Google, if you will. Google is, is a, a perfect encapsulation of these worldly zeitgeist where its model for a long time was do not do no evil. They have ultimately dropped that because Google itself, the, the alphabet company seems to be a, a, a near evil enterprise. So they abandoned their do no evil uh, motto for their company. But Christianity stands apart. You got a concept of grace. Uh, you got a concept of affirmatively doing good things. Well, and you know that this goes to, to the whole Judeo-Christian worldview. When you get into Genesis one, uh, Moses is presenting a cosmogony, a theory of the creation of the universe that is different from all other religions that then existed on the planet. 
And in fact, if you take the late liberal scholars' view that Genesis was actually written by people in exile, even though we know that can't be true because we do have the chronicles of, of people referring to it prior to the exile, but you take it that Moses didn't write it, someone later than him wrote it, it still is in defiance of every religion on the planet when it is written. Uh, he says that there is one God, that God created everything, the sun and the moon. They're not pla- they're not gods. They're things in the sky. He just fixed them there along with the stars. It's a throwaway line in Genesis 1 that God did these things. It, it sets the, the Jewish Christian God apart from all the other theories of religion on the planet, and it, it stands in stark contrast to the world. And so here now comes Christianity, Lewis, in this conversation of, of you got to show grace to people. Grace is the Christian concept that defines itself more so than anything else. And so I, I look at the story of here come these random trolls on the Internet who impute to me their biases against conservatives, that all conservatives must be racist. This cross in my front yard decorated in Christmas lights uh, so the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it, uh, that that somehow is racially motivated me purportedly burning a cross in my own yard. It's insane. And it shows you how the left views conservatives, forget Christianity. It shows you the left imputed to me their own hostility. The left imputed to me their own bigotry and biases against conservatives, and they're so unthoughtful about it as well. First of all, they would accuse me of being part of the Klan, and then to presume that I would then burn a cross in my own front yard, which is absurd in and of itself. But it's Christmas lights on a cross during Holy Week. When I put a picture up on Instagram on Saturday night of having decorated this cross, dug the hole, planted it, made sure it didn't fall over, got the Christmas lights up and on it. I had no idea I was going to wake up Sunday morning and have thousands of people accusing me of burning a cross in my front yard. I had no idea that was going to happen. And I am almost convinced today I've got to go out and find more Christmas lights and put even more Christmas lights on that cross and make it shine even brighter. The light will shine in the darkness. The darkness will not overcome it. You can call into the program if you like. I am happy to take your phone calls, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Can anybody explain to me what Joe Biden is saying here? I've listened to it, and I'm just, I'm, I'm not sure what he's saying. The case where we cannot let this, we've never allowed any crisis from the Civil War straight through to the pandemic of 17, all the way around 16. We have never, never let our democracy take second fiddle. We, they, we can both have a democracy and elections and at the same time correct the public health. The case where we cannot let this, we've never allowed any crisis from the Civil War straight through to the pandemic of 17, all the way around 16. We have never, never let our democracy say second fiddle. We, they, we can both have a democracy and elections and at the same time correct the public health. No, no, I, I, I'm not trying to make light of this. I, I want you to listen to this one more time, please. Please, please, uh, one more time. I, I want you to listen to this in, in all seriousness. 
It's a case where we cannot let this, we've never allowed any crisis from the Civil War straight through to the pandemic of 17, all the way around 16. We have never, never let our democracy take second fiddle. We, they, we can both have a democracy and elections and at the same time correct the public health. We cannot let this, we've never allowed any crisis from the Civil War straight through to the pandemic of 17, all the way around 16. We have never, never let our democracy sakes second fiddle way they, they can both have a democracy and an election and correct the public health. What? Word salads. How do they work? Uh you know, I, I wonder if this pandemic, I, I can't decide if it's helping or hurting him. It has allowed him to stop doing these weird live events where he gropey, gropey, feely. Um, but at the same time, it, it has put him on this live streaming platform of Twitter and doing lots of interviews with the, the media. And do you know where I see all the clips? I'm not making this up. Do you know where I see the clips all the time? Uh, the only people circulating the clips, in fact, is the Trump war room. The Trump campaign pushes out the clips of Joe Biden more frequently than the Biden campaign pushes out the clips of Joe Biden. And that should tell you everything you need to know about how they're It's just bizarre, y'all. It really is. And, and I, I, I say that as someone who likes Joe Biden, uh, but he's almost 80 years old. He has clearly had a little work done to try to make himself look a little more youthful than he is. And it's just not working. It is. It's it's not working. And it's it's sad to see it. It's almost elder abuse. Uh, you know what else is sad to see? The Democrats uh, really take an opportunity to never let a crisis go to waste with this global pandemic. Do you think that more needs to be done in the next package now that we've seen these appalling, historic unemployment numbers already just today? Yes. I mean, there's a long list of things. The OSHA, family and medical leave, more broadly interpreted, free testing. Uh, the list goes on and on. Are you taking into consideration uh, green jobs, green infrastructure? Yes, we need it big, we need it bold, and we need it futuristic, which means green. I mean, there's a long list of things. Infrastructure, clean water, community health centers, uh, the list goes on and on. Well, this is a case for universal health care. We absolutely have to transform our health care system. Absolutely, we see this as an opportunity to reshape uh, the way we do business and how we govern. A fully paid sick leave for all our workers, student loan forgiveness, cost-free treatment for the COVID-19, whatever the costs are relating to that. Uh, the, the willingness of these people to go on and on to, to do what they're doing. And, and this clip goes on for another minute of the, this mass takeover of the federal government. I, I don't have time to play the full clip right now. But I will when we come back. I, I we need to digest this. We need to we need to get into the Democrats deciding that they're going to use this crisis and they're going to impose socialism. And I got to tell you, they've got an opportunity to do it with willing accomplices among Republicans. And the reason they have to do it is is millennials. And listen, this is not to blame millennials. Don't don't, don't misinterpret me here. Um, Millennials are the demographic of people who were left behind after the recession of 2008. 
uh, the economy never really picked up for millennials. And they, they have lagged in the job force, in the workforce. And now suddenly this pandemic comes and those who are able to get jobs find themselves unemployed. The deck seems stacked against them. And if Republicans and conservatives can't figure out a way to get them participating in society, uh, they're going to embrace the far left policies the Democrats are now trying to seed for them. And it's something we need to consider as a society. It is Eric Erickson here. Yes, you can call in 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425 is the phone number. And I want to go to Bob in Lithonia. Welcome, Bob. Hi, Eric. Um, I have a question and a comment. Okay. Um, the first was, um, I don't know if you watched Tucker Carlson, but on Friday he made, which I thought was a good point, but maybe not, Dr. Fauci had uh, mentioned that um, he's not an economist and suggesting basically the doctor suggesting national suicide where he has job security. And I was wondering what your thoughts would be on that, that is he in fact basically wanting us to stay out as long as he deems fit for us to come back to work. And also um, set me straight if I'm wrong. I had a conversation with a couple of buddies on, on Saturday and it's amazing how we have people, uh, young men going and running into battle with bullets coming at them, but yet we're, as Americans, are being told to kowtow into our homes and can't do basically nothing. And basically, we are sacrificing tens of millions of jobs just for the potential of saving 100,000 lives. So set Look, me straight on that. I, you know... I, I was actually going to get into this later, but I'm, I'm glad you raised this because I do have thoughts on this. And, and I didn't see Tucker's segment live, but I did go back and, and listen to it. And, and let, let me let me say, yes, you, you're you're right that Dr. Fauci or, or Fauci, I think it's Fauci, um, wants everybody to stay in their homes and not go back to work. We risk uh, shutting down the economy and causing uh, death through suicide and despair. Uh, and we need a leadership right now to give us hope of when we'll be able to go on with our lives and make sure everybody knows it's okay. And I don't necessarily know that we're getting that even from the president. What is the timeline? What does it look like? And and Fauci is the healthcare expert, and he says, stay in your home until this virus goes. Now, why is he saying that? Let's get to why he's saying it and, and then walk around the parameters here, and, and let, let's spend a little time with it. He's saying that because... This virus, there have been there have been a lot of people who have misrepresented the virus, and you, we got to start there. To his credit, Tucker Carlson is one of the very few people who has not misrepresented the virus. The virus is a virus that kills at least one percent of the population. Here in Georgia, it is killing three percent of the population that gets it. Not 3% of the total population, but 3% of the population that gets it. 6,742 people have gotten it, and we are a state of 10.5 million people. So let, let me run the math real quick. Uh, and just bear with me because I, I do want to talk this out because this is a, a, a concern that continues to grow, and I'll probably come back to this later. So... We're talking about a virus that has killed less than a tenth of a percent of the population in Georgia. Uh, if it is, let's see, 6,000, 
742 divided by 10 million 500 times 100. Wait, 0.064% of Georgia's population has contracted this virus. Now, you're thinking, why can't I leave my house? Because if it's only affected six hundredths of a percent of Georgia's population, not six tenths, but 0.06, that's six hundredths of a percent of the population. Why can't I leave my house? The odds of me getting it are virtually zero. Here's a problem, and this is the problem, and this is why you can't leave your house right now at this moment and go out and live a normal life. Because the virus infects three, one person infects three people. So then those three people each infect three additional people. And so you have exponential growth. And again, unless you've gotten the virus, you're not immune to it. And interestingly enough, there's data out this weekend now, and and Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks of the White House are pointing to it and saying, yeah, this is legit. Uh, The more in contact you are with someone who has the virus, the worse a case of the virus you're going to get. So if you have passing contact with someone at the grocery store, you're probably going to get a mild case. But if you have someone come to your house or you're you're up close with someone who has the virus, you're going to get a worse case of it. Now, I, I need you to understand this. Please, 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 please understand this. Please understand this. If you only in in three hours of this program, if you only hear one thing today that you take away from the show uh, and Bob, I hope you're listening to this. Take away this one thing. The issue here is not and has never been the number of people who get the virus. It has never been the one percent or three percent fatality rate. The issue has been hospitalization. In Georgia right now, we're at 19 percent hospitalization. And the nationwide average is 22%. The the global average is 20%. So we're in there, really, 20% hospitalization. We have in Georgia, let me give you the the actual precise number because uh, everybody needs to know this number. And if you want to see them, if you text the word data to 33777, I'll provide you this. In Georgia, we know the actual number of hospital beds in the state of Georgia. The actual total number of hospital beds in the state of Georgia is 8,322. And we know the actual number of ICU beds in Georgia. That is 589. If 20% of the population needs hospitalization and 10% of the people in the hospital need ICU bed space. If we go about our lives right now, we will max out hospital capacity. Now, here's the problem. It's the cascade effect. And this this doesn't get articulated enough, and this is what I'm trying to get everyone to understand here. This is why Dr. Fauci wants everyone to say, and we're going to get to the economy. I haven't forgotten about that, but I'm trying to explain his position, and right now, what is the president's position and the governor's position? We don't have enough hospital space if this virus spreads as it spreads um, in open society. We would wipe out our hospital infrastructures. We would not have enough ICU space, and that would cause a cascading effect. Why? Because someone listening to this program today, hopefully not not me, hopefully not Bob, hopefully not, not anyone I know, but someone today who is listening to this program, believe it or not, the odds are someone today who's listening to my voice right now is going to have a heart attack and need to go to the hospital. 
There are 8,322 beds in the state of Georgia. If they're filled up with COVID-19 patients, where's the guy with the heart attack going to go? Where is the person who broke their femur and needs to go to the hospital and have it taken care of? Where's he going to go? Where is the person going to go who has cancer and needs their chemotherapy treatment? They can't get into the hospital because everybody's sick. Their immune system's compromised. That's the problem that Dr. Fauci's dealing with is we don't have enough bed space. Interestingly enough, uh, the projections last week before the governor implemented a, a, a statewide shelter-in-place order was that we would exceed our hospitalization capacity by 1,000 beds and exceed our ICU space by 800 beds. Uh, the modeling that the government uses, the modeling that Brian Kemp relies on here in Georgia, the modeling that the White House relies on is from IHME. It is at the University of Washington. They are world-renowned modelers on epidemiology. And the modeling last week showed we would exceed our hospital bed space in Georgia by over 1,000 beds. And after shelter-in-place, they now say we're not going to have a bed shortage that we will need 6,824 of the 8,322 available beds. They do say we will still exceed our ICU bed space by 743 beds, and we will still need 1,133 ventilators. And that's the problem here, and and this is what we're looking at. Uh, It's not about the person who's going to die of the virus, and it's not even about the person who's going to get the virus. It's about the person who's going to need hospitalization for something other than the virus. If you've got the virus, 20% of the people who have the virus go to the hospital. If it spreads like the flu spreads, we know, just a basic math here, that what we're going to see is a the hospital is overwhelmed. And the only way we can stop the hospitals being from overwhelmed is to stop people from getting infected. And the only way to stop people from getting infected is to stop people from being around each other. Now, on the issue of the military, we, we've got people, we, we've got soldiers who rush into bullets and, and fight. Yes, that's true. That is very true. Our soldiers signed up to defend our country, and they will go into harm's way, and they will take risks. You did not sign up for that. I did not sign up for that. My children did not sign up for that. My parents did not sign up for that. Your parents did not sign up for that. Uh, Most people did not sign up for that. And the alternative to everyone staying home is we go about normal life, I guess, right now. Uh, And we're going to get to the alternatives here. And that's not sustainable because it would overwhelm our hospital infrastructure. And it would not just harm the people who have the virus. It would harm the people who have cancer, the people who have heart attacks, the people who have strokes. Nobody, there would be no space available for those people in hospitals. So more people would die, not just the people with the virus. Now, we've got to find a middle ground. And I, I want everyone to listen to this very carefully. Dr. Fauci's job is to keep people safe from the virus. The president has economic advisors, and the way this typically works is you get the economic advisors and the healthcare advisors to come into a room, and they argue with each other, and they try to find a compromise. They try to find common ground. You've got the economic people who say we've got to reopen the economy or people are going to die of suicide. You've got the healthcare people saying we've got to keep the economy closed down and people home, or not only are the hospitals going to be overwhelmed with virus patients, they're going to be overwhelmed with all the other people who can't get in because the only people there are virus patients. And by the way, the heart attack guy and the stroke guy are going to get the virus when they go to the hospital. So where is the common ground? Where do they find it? The problem is we've got to try to contain the virus first. And the way we contain the virus first is to have everybody stay home for a couple of weeks to slow the spread. We see it working in Georgia. Last week, the peak of the virus was supposed to be April 24th. 
And now the peak is supposed to be April 20th. It's moved four days sooner because of shelter in place. There will be 2,000 hospital beds available in the state of Georgia that would otherwise not be available. What the governor's doing is working. Now, what do we do about the economy? There are some things we can do. One is everybody go out, wear a mask. It's amazing to me we have a mask shortage and everybody has masks. Went to Kroger or to Publix yesterday, and there were all sorts of people out with hospital masks on, surgeons' masks. The CDC was telling people not to wear them. Now they're saying wear them. Uh, the, 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 you can't really trust the government because the opinions of the government go back and forth on these sorts of things. But right now the prevailing sentiment is wear a mask. So people are starting to wear masks. People are staying home if they don't have to go out. That's good. So how do we reopen the economy? Well, the first thing we have to do is ramp up testing. Because if you can give everybody a test and the test is fairly instant, then we know who needs to stay home and who doesn't need to stay home. And the government can say, okay, if you have tested negative, go out, live your life, have fun, wear a mask in public just to be on the safe side right now, but otherwise go out. And we should be able to get there in a couple of weeks. That's the other reason to keep everybody staying home. We're letting the testing catch up. Once you let the testing catch up and you manufacture the tests, uh, then you can start letting people go out of the house. I hope that makes sense here. We, we have to balance the economic interests from the healthcare interests. Now, let me throw one more point at you. I got a few more phone calls I want to be able to take, and, and I can't do justice to them right before the break. So I want to take a quick break and come back and take more phone calls. 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. But let me go with this point out to break. Dr. Fauci and the people who want you to stay in your house and not get the virus, they don't want to wreck the economy. They don't, they, they don't want to destroy the economy. They need the economy to make their own income. They don't want to wreck the economy. But their view of it right now is that we can't have a sustainable economy if people are going outside and getting sick and 20% of them have to be in the hospital and, and 1% of them to 3% of them drop dead. We've got to save the economy, and the way we save the economy is we've got to save people. People are the economy. That's their view of it. They don't want to wreck the economy. They want to keep people safe so that we can have an economy. The people who want us to all go back to work, they don't want people to spread the virus. They, they don't want 3% of the population to die. They don't want hospitals overwhelmed. They don't want, want doctors and nurses uh, taxed and out of resources. But they do recognize we've got to have the economy going. And, and both sides are looking at this. They're looking essentially at a roof, and they're taking the roof, and one's on one side of the house and one's on the other side of the house. They see the same roof. They just see different sides of it, and those two sides come together at the peak of the roof, and they keep shelter over the house, and we've got to find both sides coming to common ground, and we can't do that yet until people start staying home and begin to contain the spread of the virus. Once they can stay home, and contain the spread of the virus over the next two weeks here in Georgia, then we can start moving forward. But there's no reason to accuse the people who want to reopen the economy of wanting of wanting doctors to destroy the economy. And there's no reason to accuse the people who want everyone to stay home of, of wanting to ruin everything. It's not true of either side. There is a suicide factor here we have to talk about when people's jobs are being ruined. But there's also a, a hospital capacity conversation that has to be had. There's no reason for either side to accuse the other side of wanting to either destroy the economy or destroy people. We've just got to find the middle ground, and we can't yet because the testing hasn't gotten there yet. Once the testing does, there's an obvious middle ground for everybody.
such as life, phone calls, and then they all go away during commercial break. Uh, but I did have a phone call. If Teresa's still listening, she wanted to know about type O blood type. Uh, there has been some research. It's anecdotal. Anecdote is not data. Uh, but there have been anecdotes globally that uh, type O blood actually, uh, well, first of all, they, they do need blood donors. And if you're type O, you can definitely donate blood. Uh, but there has actually been uh, some research out there in several different countries. And again, it, it's it's small pools of people. It's not significant numbers of people, but that type O blood, for some reason, people with it uh, seem less prone to get serious cases of COVID-19. And, and they don't know why. But again, they are, um, it's, it's anecdote, not data at this point. Uh, the phone number, if you want to give us a phone call, is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Uh, let me get, I mentioned the Georgia modeling, that in Georgia, uh, because of the shelter-in-place order, we will not now exceed hospital capacity. If you want to see the numbers yourself, if you text data to 33777, you'll be able to see them. Uh, this hour of the program as well is brought to you by First Liberty of Georgia, and that's significant for this reason. First Liberty of Georgia, it doesn't matter where you are in the nation. Uh, if you're a small business, you got 500 employees or less, you're classified as a small business, and you may need payroll protection help. That is, the federal government program of the stimulus allows you to apply for a very low-interest loan that will cover your payroll expenses for the next several months. And then if you maintain your payroll, it will become a grant. You won't actually pay any of the money back. And that's a good thing. And if you need it, First Liberty of Georgia can help you. Uh, and you need to get in, into the program as quickly as possible. First Liberty is a great, great uh, company. The Frost family, they're good people. Uh, if you want to, go to firstlibertyga.com, firstlibertyga.com. It does not matter where you are in the United States of America. First Liberty can help you. And they can because they are a, a family business, they don't have the standard bank bureaucracy. And so they can they can be quicker more nimble, make their own decisions so they can help you. You want to go to firstlibertyga.com. That is important. You can also text data to 33777. At the top of the website, there's a link and phone number to First Liberty. And then all this data I've got from the IHME modeling, uh, the state of Georgia statistics, all of these things are there. Uh, I mentioned that in the IHME modeling that the governor and the president used, this is the modeling that convinced the governor to order shelter in place. Uh, hospitalization or hospital beds will no longer, there will no longer be a shortage. Last week, it was interesting. There was no shortage shown. And then the model shifted. There was a shortage shown. So the governor shut down the state. And now not only will there not be a shortage, but there will be even more uh, bed space than they were projecting last week, which is a good thing. But nationwide, we are expecting a 36,654 bed shortage and an ICU bed shortage of 16,323, and a ventilator shortage of 24,828 ventilators. That's where we are as a nation. State by state, it varies. The, the most critically hit part of the nation is New York. And when we come back, I do want to talk about the economy some, and also the uh, hydroxychloroquine, because, man, this has become a thing again, and the mask thing, too. And, and this this bothers me greatly, the the angst and whatnot. It, it, is, it is genuinely aggravating to see the media nitpicking the president on the stuff when the man is just trying to give people hope. And I, and I want to spend a little time on that. 
Uh, my buddy Todd texted me that he's typo. Yes, donate. Uh, people who have typo blood, your donations are needed, although be careful where you go because you don't want to pick up the virus when you go donate blood. Uh, and, and there's also some data, speaking of blood plasma donors out there, uh, they are, they're showing actual success in clinical trials with people who have gotten the virus who are donating blood plasma. They are able to refine the plasma to build up antibodies that are showing in clinical trials signs of improving the symptoms in people who have the virus. That That's a good thing. Uh, and they're, they look like they'll be able to make some of these synthetic antibodies uh, out of uh, plasma to be able to help people. I want to walk you through that. Uh, th- there is some level of hope out there you need to understand. It's not all despair. And there's no better week to examine the hope than Holy Week. Uh, you know, it, Jesus, w- whether you accept that he rose again from the dead or not, the history accepts that he was real and this happened to him. He went into Jerusalem this week, 1,987 years ago. By Friday, he will wind up being tortured and killed. And along the way, he'll bless a whole lot of people. And maybe this week, instead of yelling at each other and, and screaming about the president and whatnot in the media, we should consider how are we going to be a blessing to other people? How are we going to bless other people uh, that we all who have been blessed are capable of blessing other people? What are we going to do? We should explore that at some point today as well. And I want you to know, I made my first sourdough bread and it was fantastic. When we come back, masks and hydroxychloroquine. Hello, good morning. It is Eric Erickson here. I hope you are doing well. The phone number, if you would like to be a part of the program, we've already had an action-packed hour. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I just got another email from a reporter about my burning cross. Story. <laughs> I tell you people, I'm going to add more lights to it. If, if, you, if you weren't here in the first hour... Uh, People in uh, in in Macon, well, it's all over Middle Georgia, not just in Macon, uh, are putting crosses in our yards. None of us can go to church for Easter, so we're putting crosses in the yard. And a lot of us, myself included, are taking our Christmas lights and wrapping our Christmas lights around the Easter crosses. And and you got the best of Jesus. You, you got Christmas and Easter all together, and they're pretty. The the light shines in the darkness. The Bible says, and it, it's a great symbol of that. Well, of course, because I am somewhat notable. And I put up the picture on the internet. Newsweek decided to run a headline uh, that I am am being criticized for putting a burning cross in my yard. I put Christmas lights on my cross, and Newsweek decided I was burning a cross in my front yard. Uh, well, well played there, uh, liberal media. Wait, wait, way to discredit yourself. <laughs> Good gracious. Okay. Um, if you want all the data I have been sending out, uh, remember you can text it as, as many times as you need it. Uh, the, the, the text number is three, three, seven, seven, seven. And what you do is you send the word data to three, three, seven, seven, seven. You will get this link back to useful COVID-19 information and links. Uh, there is a link to first Liberty of Georgia. If you need the payroll protection plan for your small business, go to first Liberty of Georgia. They sponsored the last hour, uh, and they can help you. There's also virus tracking information, projections, their stimulus plan information, and there is very useful stuff, comparisons on how each state is is locking down or not, uh, the flu versus COVID-19, an overview of the stimulus plan, all that stuff is there. Just text data to 33777. Uh, and um, the other thing I want to tell you is we got a new sponsor to the program, and they're not really even a sponsor because they're a regular household item in our house. 
uh, and they're everywhere, and they're a great local business in Middle Georgia. And any, if you're listening to me right now, you can find them. And that's Mrs. Griffin's Barbecue Sauce. Uh, if you've never had it, you should have it. It is old-school Southern barbecue uh, sauce. It's fantastic. Uh, goes great with wings, uh, goes great with ribs, goes great with everything, pulled pork, you name it. Uh, and I know they're in grocery stores right now, unlike a lot of stuff. In fact, I went to Publix on Saturday, and they were out of ketchup. All the ketchup was gone. I don't know. I I mean, I, I have no idea why people people hoard the weirdest things. Nobody has toilet paper. I'm glad I was stocked up on toilet paper because um, I can't find it anywhere. But in, with all the, the barbecue sauce, a lot of it's gone. A lot of the uh, a, a lot of the ketchup is gone, but the Mrs. Griffin's barbecue sauce—it's there because they're local, and the local owners are driving all over the state, restocking the shelves. And a lot of the local grocery stores are allowing them to come in and do the stocking themselves. Because I have heard this now, and in fact, I was talking. The first person who told me this was the the owner of Mrs. Griffin's barbecue sauce. And but now I've heard this. I was actually over at our Publix and was talking to them. They've got a lot of stuff in the stores in the back. They just don't have enough people. And then the Walmart is dealing, Walmart typically does two trucks a day. They're doing 20 trucks a day. They don't have enough people stocking the shelves. And it's not that they're out of products. It's that they've got the products and they just don't have enough people. They don't have enough manpower at this point to stock the shelves constantly because people are coming in and buying up everything. And they haven't wanted to limit uh, supplies. And, and I've talked about this before, but it's worth explaining again, why don't the stores want you to limit? In fact, if you go to, if you go to my local Publix, there's a sign up. And the sign does not limit your purchases. It just says, please be mindful. Others need this product too. Buy only what you need. And they are essentially relying on the good grace of people, which at time of crisis tends to go away. And, and people are still buying stuff up. But the reason they don't want to limit, only some things are being limited. And the reason they don't want to limit is important to understand. When you do limit, you create artificial panic. There's panic enough. So you put up a sign and it says this item is in short supply. And what do you immediately think? Oh my gosh, I got to get this. But wait, they're only limiting me to two. So what do you need to do? I need to go buy these two. I need to go take them to my car. I need to come back in and I buy, need to buy two more. And then I need to call my spouse or my kid and have them come buy two and go circle back in and get two and go through different lines of the grocery store to stock up. That's what people actually do. And so you don't want to put a sign up that says limit this item because then that suggests there actually is a real shortage when there's not one. And people then create a, a hoarding mentality and they make a run on the stores to buy all the stuff. So that's why so many grocery stores are not putting up signs limiting people's purchases. They're trying other ways to discourage people. In fact, there is a, a guy in Kentucky got arrested last week because he went to a grocery store and he was trying to buy 42 cases of Mountain Dew. Yeah, my silence is intentional here. You're imagining what this person looks like in your head, right? I know how you people think. You're imagining what this person must look like in your head. And I want to tell you, you are exactly right. Yes. If you think you saw him in the Tiger King Netflix series on Joe Exotic, you, you probably did. This man and his wife, his mullet, was longer than her mullet, wanted 42 cases of Mountain Dew, and the Kroger said, no, you're not going to buy 42 cases of Mountain Dew. And the man 
got into an argument and wound up getting arrested. I believe he pulled the knife. I think, don't hold me to this one, but I think he pulled a knife. I think that was him. That might have been someone else who did this in a grocery store. But this guy, 42 cases of Mountain Dew. And they said no, and he got mad. Just, just. People, people are crazy. People are stupid, uh, and and but they don't want to limit you per se because they don't want to have you and all your family and everyone else show up and rush the grocery stores. Now, can we talk about hydroxychloroquine because this has become a thing again? Uh, the media is just livid and upset about all of this stuff, and I, I then there's the mask issue as well. Here's here's CNN over the weekend doing it nothing because we know long term what i want i want to save lives and i don't want it to be in a lab for the next year and a half as people are dying all over the place the president of course has been promoting that drug appearing in the white house briefing room or the rose garden day after day to talk about the benefits of this drug hydroxychloroquine again there are clinical trials underway and some doctors are able to prescribe it off-label in emergency uh, cases but there is not yet a body of scientific evidence backing up the use of this drug uh, and that is why uh, when dr anthony fauci the head of the national institute of uh, allergy and infectious diseases when he stepped up to the podium uh, i tried asking him about that the president though would not let him and would you also weigh in on this issue of hydroxychloroquine what, what do you think about this and what is the what is the medical evidence yeah well, maybe 15 times you don't have to ask he's, he's your medical expert correct he's answered that okay. question 15 times now, Fauci, of course, has been on the record talking about this drug and saying that there is not yet conclusive proof uh, that this drug is effective in the treatment of coronavirus. But I think it's especially notable when you see the president there acknowledging earlier in the day that he is not a doctor as he doles out this uh, advice about this hydroxychloroquine drug. And then when you actually see a doctor at the podium, the top government expert on infectious diseases, it's notable that the president won't let him speak. Jeremy Diamond, CNN the White House. <sighs> well, y'all, this this is it, it has become a thing. They they really want to get the president on this. They they really want to own the president on this. They really want to I- embarrass everyone at the White House, particularly the president, for raising the issue of hydroxychloroquine. Here's Dr. Fauci talking to Maria Bartiromo about it. Very quickly, uh, is hydrochloroquine preventative against this virus? Yes or no? You know, as I've said many times, Margaret, the, the data are really just at best suggestive. There have been cases that show there may be an yeah. effect and there are others to show there's no effect. Okay. So I think in terms of science, I don't think we could definitively say it All works. Right. We don't know yet. And that's the bottom line. We don't actually know that hydroxychloroquine does anything. We, we There are anecdotal signs that there is uh, benefit from hydroxychloroquine. And that's why the president is recommending it. And, and, and here's the thing. Can, can I just say, I know what the president's doing, and it frustrates me that the media won't credit this to him or at least even acknowledge and, and say they're, he's doing it badly in their estimation. But I know what the president's doing. The president of the United States is trying to give people hope. And you can say he's doing a bad job of doing it. You can say he's making false hope. That is fair. 
but to not acknowledge at least that the president is at least trying to give people some hope. That's what he's doing. That That's why he's bringing up hydroxychloroquine and erythromycin. There have been a multiple studies around the world that it works. There have also been several studies now that it doesn't work. And you should know that as well, because if you listen to, to Fox in particular, you hear a lot of positives on this as, as they continue to give people hope. But there are also studies out there now saying it doesn't work. He, there's a problem with all of them, though. The studies that show it works outnumber the studies that show it doesn't work. But in every single case, it's only a handful of people, maybe up to 30 people. At some point, anecdote becomes data, but medically, that's not data enough to rely on. Doctors, though, are giving hydroxychloroquine to people, and in plenty of cases, it has come out that it actually has shown benefit to people, particularly people with milder cases. Uh, there are people who have uh, therapeutic, um, who are having therapeutic trials of other drugs who have severe cases that are showing that they're having some benefit. Here's the FDA commissioner on, on the therapeutic uh, drug trials. This is so important what you're just saying here, Dr. Hahn. I wanna, I wanna drill down on this, the prophylactis, because a lot of people are talking about prophylactis right now, a drug, a shot that you can get to give you a temporary immunity, then we can just get back to work. I mean, it is how close are you in terms of finding the proper prophylactis right now so that we can get a shot, get immunity for 60 to 90 days so that we can eventually open up the economy again, even if it's temporary. So Maria, this is again, this, and I have to tell you, um, we absolutely need to get back to work. Um, we do need to do that. We need to balance that, as you said in your opening, with the public health issues. So one of the things that we've been working on now for the last two months is something called convalescent plasma. What that means is we take plasma from a patient who has recovered from COVID-19. It has all of the immunity in there, and then we can give it to someone who's sick. Once we determine that that's safe and effective, we then move to something called hyperimmune globulin. And by the way, this is not sequential, one followed by the next. All of these are happening in parallel. And you're speaking about the hyperimmune globulin, where we can pull plasma from a lot of recovering patients, manufacture it, scale it up, and give it as a shot. It can work as a therapeutic, so as a treatment, potentially. And again, we have to study it, and we're doing this quickly, uh, but also as a prophylactic. And that acts as a bridge to get us to a vaccine. So we're pushing hard on that particular end. And then one other component of this is that uh, there are manufacturers, great com companies in the US that have a lot of experiencing develop what we call monoclonal antibodies. So that's actually genetically engineered antibodies, different from taking it from a patient, but against the coronavirus. And we have been working with them for several weeks also to try to scale that up, again, as a bridge to get to a vaccine. Isn't American innovation and ingenuity fascinating and science in general fascinating? Uh, the fact that we're doing this, uh, we are rapidly working to improve the situation. We are rapidly working to, uh, to provide hope, to provide cure, to provide relief. And constantly, you know what Bill Gates is doing? This, this is actually fascinating to me. Bill Gates has decided to build seven factories to make seven different antibiotics. He, he's allowing, essentially, he's setting up the factories. There are a number of trials out there for various uh, vaccines for COVID-19. And Bill Gates has set up seven factories using his money to set up these factories so that they can ramp up to scale these vaccines. And they will shut down the six factories that wind up not having a successful vaccine and leave the seventh going. And he's doing that out of his own funds. 
If you will recall, just a couple of months ago, Democrats on the campaign stage were saying billionaires should not exist. Elizabeth Warren was saying billionaires should not exist. Bill Gates should not exist. It is Bill Gates, it is the American private sector that's going to find us way out of that. And everyone is complaining about the, the, the president. Everyone is complaining about the government response. And there's a lot to criticize in the government response. I don't know necessarily you can blame the president for some of the government response. But look at the American private sector. The cure is going to come from the private sector. The cure is going to come. And it's going to be American innovation, Western innovation that does it. And we should be applauding that. We should not be condemning the billionaires out there who are using their money to find a cure. Not all of them will step up, but a lot of them are. And we should be in praise of that. Uh, and we should not be condemning the president for trying to give people hope. You can say he's doing it, going about it wrong, but we should at least recognize he's trying to make people not panic. He's trying to calm people down. He's trying to let them know there's a path forward. But what is the path forward? Let, let's talk about that. And I'm happy to take your thoughts as well. 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I'm going to deviate for a moment here from everything else I was going to talk about. And and, and you're, you're held hostage because there's no other radio station than this one. And so you're stuck with me for just, just a moment. You're going to have to humor me because I'm proud of myself and I want to share my pride. I made a sourdough starter. Now, I, I've done this in the past, and I used a 14-day starter recipe, and it, it was a grueling 14 days, and I, I finally did it. And it was, it was great. It was fine. It was wonderful. I liked it a lot, uh, but I decided to start over. I, I let that one go away. And, and so if you want to know why I let that one go away. <laughs> so it was my mother-in-law's starter dough recipe, and it's, she makes the greatest bread ever. It is, it is wonderful bread. The problem is that it's too good, and my wife got mad at me for making it. Um, because one of the things my mother-in-law does is she makes it as a loaf. She doesn't make it as, as the rounds, like this, your typical sourdough loaf. She uses a, a, it's a sourdough starter recipe that uses potato flakes and she makes these lo loaves and they're super soft and they're wonderful. And she, she rolls them out. If y'all knew my family, you would understand. She rolls them out and she covers them in cinnamon and sugar and butter. And then she wraps them up and she makes this loaf and it is a cinnamon sugar bread and it is the greatest thing you will ever eat. It really is fantastic. And I made this, I made one plane and did one cinnamon sugar and my wife insisted that that be the end of it, that, that I, I led this experiment go no further because we would all be fat uh, on this bread if, if I did it. So I stopped, I did, I stopped. Well, I finally decided I want to do a real sourdough with, with, with wheat and water. And for a week, I've been using the King Arthur. You don't, you don't have to email and ask me for the starter recipe. If you go to King Arthur Flowers website, they have a starter recipe. And I started, I just used whole wheat flour and water and then transitioned all-purpose flour and water for a week. And I finally got the starter to where it would double in size uh, in about eight hours. And I made bread yesterday for the first time with my sourdough starter. I actually made two different recipes. And the one from King Arthur Flower, I think I messed it up. It just, I, and I did it by hand. I didn't use the mixer and I probably should have used my KitchenAid mixer for it. Um, but I, then I did the other one. Uh, I, I found a different recipe and I did it in the KitchenAid and it worked better. The kneading worked better. 
uh, the, the KitchenAid, when I wound up having to throw it away, I couldn't even bake it. Um, so I need to do over because it's KitchenAid, so it should be good. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, so I made the starter and I made the bread and it was incredible. It was good bread. I also made a sheet pan pizza with the sourdough and it would have been good, except I didn't use oil. I used Crisco on the bottom and it didn't get brown and crispy enough on the bottom, which, which I regret. Um, so it, it was fine at first and then it got really soggy, which was, it got gross. It, it almost got doughy again. So I got to work on that. I, I got to work on my sheet pan pizzas. I can make a great Neapolitan. I've got a, I've got a, um, it's called a rock box. It's by a company called Gosney. Uh, I don't know if you got the money, but they're on sale now for four ninety nine, uh, $499, but they get up to 950 degrees. It's a little portable wood burning or gas burning oven. You got a different switch. You can do gas or wood. And you can make a Neapolitan pizza in a minute in the sucker. It's fantastic. Uh, and it's good and it's crispy and it's delicious. But um, nonetheless, um, so I made my sourdough and now I've got a sourdough pizza dough recipe I got to make and I got to make some sourdough cinnamon rolls as well. I, I intend to use my sourdough and I intend to learn to bake with it. And we're just not going to make this delicious cinnamon sugar bread that my mother-in-law makes. And my wife will let me keep the sourdough, but I got to name it. I'm thinking I'm just going to name him Bob. Because apparently, when, if your sourdough has life, you're supposed to name him. And if for some reason, most people, male and female, give their sourdough a boy's name. And I don't know why, because I was thinking I'd go with Shirley or something. But nope, nope, Bob. Bob it is. Bob is my sourdough starter. Now, when we come back, I will leave you, I will leave my tales of Bob behind. And the IHME model has just been updated. And it should give you all some hope that we're seeing light at the end of the tunnel. And that's one thing we need to talk about, the hope. What is the hope? What what hope can our leaders give us? I want to discuss that with you as well. What's the plan? U.S. insurer Allstate Corporation has announced this morning it's going to return more than $600 million in auto insurance premiums to customers as many Americans stay home. Most customers will receive a payback of 15% of their monthly premium in April and May. That's fantastic. Uh, State Farm, you ready to be a good neighbor? (laughs) Oh, man. Um, Okay. Now, I want to, uh, what is this? Uh, No, no, no. Um, Oh, good grief. Um, Okay. So, I want to talk about planning. What is is the plan? How is the plan? What is the plan? What does the plan do? Uh, Where are we going uh, with with this situation? Because everybody wants a plan. Jake Tapper yesterday, he's not wrong. Uh, Tapper is not wrong. Tapper essentially said, Mr. President, uh, the nation wants a plan. What is your plan for this crisis and navigating it through? Now, by the way, full disclosure, um, I, I will I will defend Jake Tapper in pretty much all cases. Uh, Jake Tapper was a guy who conservatives loved him when Barack Obama was president. They loved Jake Tapper. And now that... Donald Trump is is president. Jake Tapper has not changed. Jake Tapper asks tough questions of everyone. And Jake Tapper was ruthless to the Obama administration, and he's ruthless to this administration. And I appreciate a journalist who is willing to ask the tough questions of all sides, which he does. And I think he should be commended for it, not attacked for it. I think he is a, a consummate professional. I have actually, uh, <laughs> oh, should I tell the story? Um, no, I, I, I probably better not. All, all I will tell you is I have seen firsthand uh, Jake Tapper's willingness to be a very fair reporter 
and he suffers no fools, including those he works with. Um, I, I'm, I'm a big Jake Tapper fan. And he's getting blown up from some for saying the president needs a plan. And what is the plan? And it was a monologue. He was, oh, this is commentary. This isn't reporting. It was absolutely commentary, but he's not wrong. What is the plan? And I think the president needs a plan. And, and so let me give my recommendations. If I do not advise the president, I, I certainly talk to people in the White House that I know I have their ear. And the reason I know I have their ear is because I can track traffic to the resurgent. And I know how many people from the White House read it on a daily basis. I, I know people who tune into this live stream on social media and listen to the podcast uh, who, who come from the White House IP address. So I, I know people there listen. And I, I've, I've got people who, who occasionally do reach out. And let me tell you what, what I would advise them right now. If I were president of the United States, what I would want to do is have an address to the people of the United States and say very forthrightly that we need people to stay home right now. Now, there, there is, you should know as an aside, there, there is a call for the president to have a nationwide lockdown. And the president can't do that. It is not within the power of the president of the United States to lock down individual states. The president has no police power in the United States. And, and if, you'll, if you'll recall, there's the Posse Comitatus law uh, th that the United States military cannot be used within the nation of the United States to enforce law and order. It, it is against the law for the American military to be mobilized as a police force inside the United States. It just can't happen. It is not constitutional. And the president cannot commandeer local law enforcement to do his bidding as well. There is, in fact, a historic precedent and Supreme Court precedent that if states permit their local law enforcement to be used as arms of the federal government that is permitted, such as enforcing immigration law, but they are not required to do so and they can withhold the permission at any time. So for all of these people demanding the president impose a nationwide lockdown, it is not permissible for the federal government to impose a lockdown, uh, barring some level of congressional action akin to a war powers declaration. It is not possible for the president of the United States to shut down the entire government, or, or I'm sorry, to shut down the entire country and prohibit the movement of people. He can't do it constitutionally. But what the president can do is he can have an Oval Office address. The president rarely addresses the nation from the Oval Office. That would impart, impart the gravity of the situation if he did so. And he can look into the camera and he can say a couple of things. The issue here is not everyone in the nation getting the virus. It is not 150 million Americans becoming infected. It's not even 2 million Americans dying as some of the early projections had it. Uh, because we are doing enough to stop that. The issue is overwhelming hospital capacity. That if you overwhelm hospital capacity nationwide right now with people who are getting the virus, then the people who have other medical needs can't get in. So the people who need their chemotherapy treatment can't get in. The people who need dialysis can't get in. The people who have a heart attack or a stroke can't get in. The people who've broken a leg can't get in. The people who have been shot can't get in. Uh, there, there won't be enough hospital capacity for people who need medical care if hospitals are overwhelmed. And that's why we need people to stay home. And the president can say the governors of all of the states should issue shelter-in-place orders. And they should do so for two weeks, give a time certain, and say, here's the plan. 
everybody stay home for two weeks. Don't go out. Don't recreationally go out. Don't go out unless you have to go to the grocery store. If you have to go to the grocery store, wear a mask. And get home as quick as you can. And wash your hands. And use hand sanitizer if you have it. And in two weeks, we're going to reassess. And here is our hope. If everyone does what they need to do, and be careful, emphasize that. If everyone does what they need to do, that puts the burden on the American people to do what they need to do to be responsible. If everyone does what they need to do for the next two weeks, we have examined, and they have, by the way, this is fact what I'm saying here. We have examined the nation by zip code, the entire nation. We can tell where the virus is and is not, where it is spreading and where it is receding. And we can tell the economic activity of those areas of the nation. And we know that there will be parts of the nation in two weeks we cannot open up. There will be parts of this nation in two weeks where everyone must still stay home. But there will be parts of the nation where people can begin to leave their houses with certain precautions. They'll begin to leave their houses by wearing masks. They will begin to leave their houses with aggressive testing protocol. They will begin to leave their houses to go back to work. They will begin to leave their houses to go see each other face-to-face. They will begin to go out recreationally, to have a drink with a friend, to have a meal, to go to the local restaurant that's reopening. But for two weeks, we must shelter in place. And if the American people, and again, put the burden on the people, if the people can do this, then we can begin reopening the country in part, not a whole, in part, and we can reassess. But first, we must stay home. And I think if the president did that, uh, very much what Governor Kemp is doing in Georgia, by the way, uh, saying we need this for two weeks and we'll reassess in two weeks, as opposed to what Ralph Northam, the governor of Virginia, is doing. The governor of Virginia has come out and said, we, we're doing this until June. No one can leave their house. I think June's too long And I think it's beginning to overwhelm people. And I don't think people mentally can take being locked in their house for too long. And the reason we can't is because, I mean, frankly, at a theological level, it's Genesis 1, is it not? Genesis 1 and 2. Man should not be alone. We are a communal people. We we are a a people of community. We are a people that... um, that, that need to be with each other. And people can't stay cooped up in their houses for long, but people will be willing to do it if they have hope. People will be willing to do it if they have a plan. People would be willing to stay home if they had a date certain where they could get out again, or at least a date certain where they knew they were going to reassess because right now people don't trust the experts. The experts have gotten so much wrong. Just two weeks ago, they were saying don't wear masks in public, and now they're telling everybody to wear masks in public. People get stuff wrong. The experts get stuff wrong. So let us know that every two weeks you're going to reassess and you're going to begin reopening the nation as best you can. There are ways to do that. And that's what we need. We need that hope. We need that hope. We need that certainty. We need that date on the calendar where it's going to come back. You know, it, this this reminds me somewhat of a story that you all know. And yes, I, I, it is Holy Week, and and I I take special license to do this in Holy Week. Uh, but it is a story that you know. God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. 
Now the springs of the deep and the floodgates of the heaven had been closed and the rain had stopped falling from the sky. The water receded steadily from the earth. At the end of the 150 days, the water had gone down. And on the 17th day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. The waters continued to recede until the 10th month. And on the first day of the 10th month, the tops of the mountains became visible. After 40 days, Noah opened a window he had made in the ark and sent out a raven and had kept flying back and forth until the water had dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground, but the dove could not find, but the dove could find nowhere to perch because there was water over all the surface of the earth. So it returned to Noah and the ark. He reached out his hand and took the dove and brought it back into his ark. He waited seven more days and again sent out the dove from the ark. When the dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. He waited seven more days and sent the dove out again, but this time it did not return to him. By the first day of the first month of Noah's six hundred and first year, the waters had dried up from the earth. Noah then removed the covering from the ark and saw that the surface of the ground was dry. By the 27th day of the second month, the earth was completely dry. Then God said to Noah, come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their daughters. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move upon the ground, so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase the number in, on it. So Noah came out. Now, you can say this is all mythology. I'm, I'm an evangelical Christian. I believe the story is true. You can disagree with me. That's fine. Uh, every every major civilization has a, every major religion has a flood story. Uh, even the Eastern religions have a flood story. Clearly, there was a common shared story that broke out, with, whether it was a regional flood or what, whether it was a man named Noah or Gilgamesh or, or what have you. Uh, something had to have happened for every major culture to have a tradition of a flood story. But uh, the point here is not the story. The point is that uh, Noah, when he began to see progress, started sending out the birds. And eventually the dove comes back with the olive leaf, and then the dove doesn't come back at all. And he knows that the waters have receded by then. Noah essentially was letting people know, I'm going to keep reassessing the situation and we're going to keep looking for the data and we've got benchmarks and here's what has to happen. Uh, if the dove comes back, we know that it's not safe to go out. If the dove comes back with a, an olive leaf, you, you know that the world is growing again. The world is healing again. If the dove doesn't come back, you know that the situation is in such an area that uh, the animals can now live outside the ark. The president in two weeks can say, we're going to see where the virus is and where it's not. And if it's not in an area, then you should be able to come out of your house again. You should be able to come out of your ark and go about and live your life. But there will be areas where the waters have not receded, where the virus has not gone away. And there you must stay put. And we will continue to reassess. The people need that plan. They need that hope that there is a plan. They need the hope that the economy will begin to surge. If you believe that businesses can come out of, come back to life just by flipping a switch and all will be well, you've never run a small business. The odds are it's going to be painful for businesses that have shut down to spring back to life. But they can still spring back to life. I think the president and the administration need to give people hope, though. 
they need to show people that there's thought not just keeping people in their homes to keep the virus from spreading, but they need an explanation of why must you do it now? And what will it look like two weeks from now? What will it look like four weeks from now? What about six weeks from now? What about in areas where the virus isn't spreading, but areas where it's contained? What about in areas where it's still spreading? Just give people some hope. Now, one of the things that they have to do is they've got to bring testing capacity, rapid testing capacity online. You know, Britain got a bunch of antibody tests from China, and they all failed unless people were were already terribly sick to the point that they knew they had the virus. All the tests failed. Britain had to send them back. China is doing this. Do you know that Italy sent China a bunch of ventilators, and China made Italy pay to bring them back? Have you heard that in the news anywhere? That's a legit story. It has been confirmed. Italy sent ventilators to help the Chinese people, and China made Italy pay to send them back. But here in this country, we've got Abbott Labs and others that are inventing uh, rapid tests, rapid tests. And in inventing the rapid tests, we should be able to know within minutes whether someone has the virus. So it should be very, very easy for us very soon to let people out of their house. Everybody gets tested. You're allowed to go about your business if you don't have the virus. If you do have the virus, you got to stay home. Use court power if you have to to keep the person home. And then everybody goes out, wear a mask if you have to. I want to get into the mask situation, but wear a mask. But there are ways we can do this. But the underlying premise is it involves us first all staying home for the next couple of weeks to ramp up testing capacity. Once that's there, we should be able to get out of the house again. We should be able to open the economy again. We should be able to live life again. But what the president and his team do need to do is to give people that hope that life is going to go on normally again at some point soon. I want to remind you guys to go to FirstLibertyGA.com if you need uh, access to the payroll protection program. Anywhere in the nation you're listening, uh, First Liberty of Georgia can help you get into the payroll protection program for your employees and take advantage of the stimulus money for the federal government to take over your payroll for you. It's a loan, but if you keep your employees and don't lay people off, it becomes a grant and you won't have to pay it back. Uh, Go to FirstLibertyGA.com for details. Thank you for their sponsorship. And I, I, you know, so they're also sponsoring, but I also want to put in a plug regardless of their sponsorship uh, for Mrs. Griffin's barbecue sauce. (laughs) And I know it sounds funny to to talk about barbecue sauce on this radio program, but I talk about enough cooking and it has become a staple in our house. Uh, My wife, so my wife makes this chicken dish and it's essentially, it's mustard, ketchup, vinegar, and and some other things. uh, And it's mixed together into this barbecue sauce. And uh, she bakes chicken in the oven with it. Uh, you pour it over the chicken, make this barbecue sauce. You pour it over the chicken. You stick it in the oven. Uh, you bake it, and it just it, it's uh, fall apart tender. And it, I just yeah, I'm I'm not that big a fan of her barbecue sauce. Uh, it, it, it's a little bit too much for me. And so we discovered Mrs. Griffin's barbecue sauce because in the bottle it looks very much like that. Figure now and give it a try. And it actually it's a better balance. And it's kind of become a staple in our house for this and other recipes. You just you pour it over your chicken, you stick it in the oven, or or do pork chops with it. I'll tell you a great pork chop recipe is you brown your pork chops and then you put them in a in a baking dish, you cover them in Mrs. Griffith's barbecue sauce, you wrap them in foil, you stick them in the oven at 275 for about an hour and a half, and they are fall apart tender, and you got basically pulled pork with a pork chop. It's fantastic. Uh, and they're local. And so we started buying it. We didn't even realize it was made in Macon, Georgia. Uh, and, and it is, and they're everywhere and I'm a big fan of it. And they reached out and said, could we sponsor the show? We, we, we're on the shelves. There are so many things that aren't on the shelves right now. And we are, we want to make people aware. I was like, yes. Uh, so wherever you are in Georgia, go get your Mrs. Griffin's barbecue sauce. I will send out a recipe. 
um, that we use with Miss Griffin's barbecue sauce. Uh, and, and I'll send it. If you text recipe to three, three, seven, 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 I got to do a better job of sending out recipes and I will, I promise I will. I actually booked a bunch and apparently I forgot to click send. So they're all going to start wheeling out over this week. Uh, so text recipe to three, three, seven, seven, seven. And uh, I will send you a Mrs. Griffin barbecue sauce recipe and a bunch of other stuff. And I don't say that as a sponsor. I just say that as I actually do use it. And uh, I will send you recipes. Um, and maybe I'll send out the sourdough recipe I've used as well. Uh, but you got to text recipe to 33777 uh, to be able to get that. Now, we do need to shift gears. Uh, there is an update on the modeling. And I want you to know the IHME modeling is the one being used by the White House and the various governors. Because it's good, and, and let me let me tell you, let me give you my nutshell explanation on the modeling. Modeling is predictive. Modeling is predictive. It is not meant to be accurate. Uh, but what the good models do in epidemiology is they take the daily data that comes in from the states and they adjust the model. And that's why the IHME model is so good, is it continues to take the data, the real world data, and adjust every single day based on the new data. And so you get a fairly good projection of how things are going to look in two weeks. Now, why do we say how things are going to look in two weeks? Because we know that this virus, once it's contracted, typically runs its course in 14 days. That's two weeks. And so you get a pretty good snapshot of what things will look like in two weeks. It's not accurate. It's not meant to be accurate. But just as a, a business forecast is supposed to help businesses plan, an epidemiological model can help epidemiologists plan for a pandemic. And this is what they're relying on. It has been updated, and the news is good, and I want to tell you about it when we come back. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Coming up. At the bottom of the hour, uh, Derek Guillory, uh, he is an MD. He specializes in stem cell research. The FDA is allowing his company uh, to do some uh, clinical trials and experimentation on stem cells as a way to fight COVID-19. Going to talk to him about it right now. I want to bring you an update. It, it's a Twitter thread. And then we got to talk about Karen. You, you know Karen. Uh, we'll, we'll get to Karen here in just a minute. Um, but this is a, a Alicia Smith. She's, well, she's a Bravo TV analyst, so take that as, as you may. But she has reviewed the IHME modeling. The modeling is reviewed by the White House. Uh, it is updated regularly. It gives you, as I mentioned in the last hour, some projections. It is not cons it is not intended to be accurate. It is intended to give projections based on incoming data. The reason that it is relied on by people like Governor Kemp and Dr. Toomey here in Georgia and people like the president and Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks in, in Washington is because it takes in data daily and adjusts the modeling accordingly. Uh, a lot of data modelers never do that. The climate change people are a good example of this. They want you to know that Washington or, or, or New York City got underwater five years ago and it's still flooded. They've never bothered to adjust their models. That's why in 10 years we're all going to die. Uh, this modeling by epidemiologists is actually a fairly credible model. And overall, the number of deaths projected by the model has decreased from 93,000 to 81,000. The projected total bed shortage has gone from 87,000 beds to 36,000 beds. The peak date uh, is April 15th will be the resources will peak and the 16th will be the daily death toll. Uh, under 200 deaths will go, uh, will be under 200 deaths daily in the United States on May 18th instead of June 3rd. Uh, 
Uh, individually in New York City, or in New York rather, the peak hospital use is now projected to be April 8th instead of April 9th. With peak daily deaths will now be the 9th instead of the 10th. Total deaths are now projected to be 15,600 in New York instead of 16,300. They'll get to under 20 deaths a day on April 30th instead of May 2nd. In Florida, peak hospital date will now be April 21st instead of May 3rd because of shelter in place. Here in Georgia, if you'll recall, there was a big story last Monday night uh, that Georgia had turned the corner. We would hit our peak on April 23rd, and we would not max out resources. And then the modeling shifted the next day, and suddenly we are going to max out resources. And uh, the governor put in shelter in place. Well, now, as a result of the shelter in place in Georgia and the revised modeling, we'll hit the peak April 20th, and we will never max out hospital capacity in Georgia, which is fantastic. Uh, the Democrats, of course, the, the, by the way, there are people having a meltdown about the governor's office t- saying people can go to the beach. And I got an email from a lady this morning who's very upset with me. She listens uh, in Savannah and she's very upset with the governor and me uh, because she doesn't want people on the beach in Tybee. And uh, she's afraid people are going to come bring the virus with them to Tybee. Here's the thing. Uh, you can go out on a lake or to a state park or to a beach right now. And you have to stay in your family group and no more. And even if you're in your family group, if you're not distanced in public, you're going to get in trouble. And I don't have a problem with that. I I have friends who are very angry with the governor for not being more restrictive in his order. I'm not. We have six one-hundredths of a percent of the state population is infected with this virus. The ooh, 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 ooh. I'm sorry. This is, this is, uh, God bless you, Justin, for just texting me. This is the most important news of the day. It is breaking. It is happening now. This is super important. Uh, I will be gone in November, November 9th through the 15th. The Masters has been rescheduled for November 9th through the 15th. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. Now, I got to tell you, I personally advocated a plan uh, that they would go on and play the Masters now, and it would just be the, 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 the golfers and the caddies and none of us except me. I, I would, under my plan, I would be allowed to go watch. But it would just be the golfers and the caddies, no congregating. Uh, leave the leave the jacket on the table, spray it with Lysol and walk away so they can put it on themselves. But they didn't go for that plan. But it, it has now been set November 9th to the 15th. Hallelujah. Okay, now we can go back to all this other stuff. That's important news. So people are upset with the governor. And I got to tell you, I, I, I think he has struck the right balance here. There are some states that have done shelter place. Did you hear in California uh, that a, a paddle boarder on the ocean was arrested? A sole paddle boarder at the beach in San Diego was arrested for being out at the beach. There was no one with him. There, there was no crowd. It was a single paddle boarder and two police officers arrested him. There was a bigger crowd there arresting him than he by himself left alone. And, and that gets me to the point. There, there are two things here. And this is my pet peeving stuff here. Where, where, let me let me fi- find the soundbite here. Let me find the soundbite. Where is it? I, I got it in the stack. Yes, number three, uh, Dr. Fauci and the mask situation. What do you mean? Why am I not wearing a face mask now? Okay, there are a couple of reasons. One of them is that part of the, in fact, the major reason to wear a face mask is to protect you from infecting you. I had my test yesterday, and it's negative. Okay. Y'all, I get it, and I don't want to be that guy. 
but there is a mask shortage, and I am stunned at the number of people at my local grocery store wearing surgical masks. Where the hell did they get all the surgical masks? I assume that most of them are, are from families of doctors, and they have these surgical masks because I can't find them anywhere. My wife is actually sewing masks, cloth masks, uh, that you can slide a filter inside of. Uh, and, and I guess we'll wear those, but I just, I, I'm sorry. I, I, I don't want to be the guy wearing the mask. I don't, I mean, I, I got a face for radio as it is. So, so a mask would probably be an improvement for most of you seeing me, but I, I don't, I, I don't want to wear a mask. I don't. And as Dr. Fauci said, it has more to do with the sick people. I'm not sick. I, I've been cooped up in my house for weeks on end. I'm not sick. I don't have the virus. I, I, I don't want to wear a mask. But I will tell you the most aggravating part of all of this. I'm meditating for a moment because I don't want to use profanity on the radio. The most aggravating part of all of this. There, there. So have you heard the term Karen? No disrespect intended to the people who are listening who are named Karen. But Karen has become a meme. Karen is the know-it-all neighbor with the bad haircut who's obnoxious and bullying to everyone. And if she doesn't get her way, she reports everybody to the police. Karen. And the Karens of the world have been enabled. The Karens of the world have been empowered to be the bullies of the planet. I continue to hear reports of people reporting their neighbors for daring to live lives. And I get we all got to stay home. I do. I, I really do. But there is a level of obnoxious jealousy when you see someone sitting on the front porch. You see someone sitting on the front porch, and they've got a friend there, and uh, they, they got a bourbon in their hand, and they're six feet apart on the front porch, and, oh, my goodness gracious, please let me call Karen so Karen can call the cops because two people who aren't related to each other are sitting on their front porch, six feet apart, having a cigar and bourbon and visiting Philip. You got me <laughs> Philip who works for me. We, we've been plotting sitting on the front porch, sitting six feet apart with cigars between the cigars and the alcohol and the six feet apart. We should keep the virus at bay and actually have some community. But I, I got it. It is obnoxious. I, there was a, a guy I follow on Twitter who had the police show up at his house. He and his wife, they own a townhome in, I believe it was Washington, D.C. They own a townhome in Washington, D.C. They were out on the front stoop on the portion of the sidewalk that they are responsible for that is considered part of their private property. And God help them, they are fitness fanatics. And they were doing uh, snatches and hanging cleans and push presses. And if you know, you know, and if you don't, God bless you. You're a better person for it. They were out there doing their exercises, lifting weights on the front stoop and on the front sidewalk, not, not, not the sidewalk that other people can walk down. It is the sidewalk that goes from the main sidewalk up to their house. It is perpendicular to the main sidewalk. It is the sidewalk that is their property that around which is a fence in which they have a little garden, and they were there doing their exercising, and a neighbor called the police on them. And the police showed up, and they asked if they were doing anything wrong, and the police said no. But given the insistent demands of the neighbor who saw them, the police felt compelled to show up 
as opposed to telling the neighbor it was no big deal because apparently the neighbor had called once before and complained. And so the police were showing up to reassure the people that they actually weren't breaking the law. And they wanted to be seen as going and telling them they weren't breaking the law. And the police officer actually encouraged them to stay out there and do it because the neighbor shouldn't have been doing it. Y'all, this, this is the empowering the little tyrants. You know, there's a, um, what is the name of the movie about East Germany? Um, I cannot remember the name of the movie now, but there's a great movie. Gosh, now I, now that I'm thinking about it, it just slipped my mind. But there's a great movie about East Germany. So the, the, the lies they told, or I, I can't remember. Um, but it's a movie about the East German police state where even within families in this communist society, neighbors were spying on neighbors, family were spying on family, and they were turning each other into the East German police. And people, in the middle of the night, the police would show up and drag people out of their houses. And there's a portion of American society at a time like this that become like the East Germans. There's a there's a local, and those of you who are listening on WMAC in Macon, uh, this is about your area. There's a local restaurant in downtown Macon, Georgia. It is called Piedmont Brewery. It makes one of the best little best light beers, or I shouldn't say light beer, lagers uh, around. It, it's called Satisfied. It's it's a great beer. It's it's not a stout. It's not a porter. It's not an IPA. Everybody is crazy about the IPAs. So just just give me a nice little pilsner or a lager. It's called Satisfied. It is a great beer. If I had it on tap at my house, I would be really fat and happy. And they they have the best brisket sandwich in Middle Georgia. They really do. They have the best brisket sandwich. It, it's fantastic food. And they're not having a lot of customers. That's at Piedmont Brewery right now because the place is closed. They can't have in in room dining or or in restaurant dining. So what they're doing is is they're continuing to get their supplies. They're continuing to get their produce. They're continuing to get their meat, and they're selling it to the public. They're calling it their mercantile program or the mercantile program. They are for people who need the the meat and people who need the vegetables and people who need the fruit. They can't find them at the grocery store. They are they're doing it. They, they're engaged. They're 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 welcoming. They're, they're they're they want to help. They want to stand up. They they want to help play their part in the community. They've got all this produce. They're going to have to throw it away. You can't find tomatoes at the grocery store, so go to Piedmont Brewery and they'll sell you tomatoes. You can't find chicken breasts at the grocery store. Go to Piedmont. They're gonna they're gonna sell it to you. Well, they were. I should be using past tense because they've had to stop. Do you know why they've had to stop? They've been weighing the stuff on on their kitchen scale. You want a pound of potatoes? They'll sell you a pound of potatoes and they'll put them on their kitchen scale and they'll weigh them out the same scale they use to measure out their ingredients in the kitchen. They'll use to weigh out your potatoes and sell you the potatoes. And some little ne'er-do-well some Karen called the local health department in Macon, Georgia, and had the whole thing shut down because their scale is not weight certified by the state for resale. I kid you not. They were providing a public service. They were providing people jobs to be there to sell the goods. They were providing people the excess produce that they needed, and they were buying the produce, which helped the farmers. It was an entire supply chain is now gone because one little busybody called the public health department. And by the way, if you're listing in Bibb County, Georgia, you should be in 
it just infuriated with your local health department shutting this program down. These are extraordinary times, and your local health department wouldn't waive a regulation to a business that is providing jobs, supply chain jobs, and goods to the public because some little busybody, it was probably a competitor, but I, you know, they're, they're making us filled with these little Karen types that go around little busybodies, sticking their nose in other people's business, ruining other people's jobs. And, and now there are people who are going to be unemployed because one person complained to the health department and the health department decided, no, no, it's a pandemic. We're going to let this slide because people can't find this stuff at the grocery store and, and this business is doing a good job. Nope, can't do it. Had to shut down the program. Had to shut it down. There were people employed to help with this program, and now they can't do it. And that really does infuriate. It really does infuriate me that this happened uh, to Piedmont Brewery in Macon, Georgia. Uh, and and the little busybodies, it's just, it, it infuriates me. Uh, and they are empowered during a time of pandemic, and we should uh, we should not let them be empowered we should stand up to them. And I'm not saying go outside. I'm not saying defy the shelter in place. But I am saying if you know the people in your household or your neighbor's household and they are the ne'er-do-well busybodies getting everyone else in trouble, then you probably need to call them out. Instead of shaming the people who are going outside and enjoying their life, shame the people who are the busybodies trying to keep everybody inside and, and shame the people who are shutting down local businesses' operations because they're daring to perform a public good right now and go buy some beer from Piedmont Brewery. You can call in. In fact, I'm going to the phones right now, 877-973-7425. I, I, I will, though, note this comment. You know the saying, uh, snitches get stitches. <laughs> My wife was so mad about this Piedmont Brewery story. She says, right now the stitches need to be put in ditches. She was. She's a little bit aggravated about all this. Let, let's go to the folds. Jim and Decatur, you are going to be next. Welcome. Well, the name of the movie you're trying to think of is The Lives of Others. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Wonderful. Yes. Powerful. Powerful. It is. And the good guys of all people are the two true believers who get shafted by the existing system, which was hopelessly corrupt. Yes. Also, there's Goodbye Lenin for a sort of a sweet, bittersweet take on East Germany. Did you see that? No, I haven't seen that. Uh, hang on, I'm going oh, to... Oh, I got to go get that. It's, it's a fun like version of it. Goodbye, Lenin. Um, uh, yeah, I need to see this. Yes. The Lives of Others, that is... It, 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 it is such a good movie. It is a... And I'm not big into, into movies with subtitles. This is such an incredible movie. Yes. Well, one little bit of good news is... I know a Karen who's the perfect anti-Karen out in Athens. She would be the scourge of the scourge, uh, or counter-scourge, <laughs> to all the liberals in uh, Athens who just want to you know, nitpick and be busybodies. Mm -hmm. She hates that stuff. So Good. I'm proud of her for it. That, that's fantastic. Jim, listen, thanks so much for that. Goodbye, Lennon. I need to, I need to watch that. Uh, if you all have never seen The Lives of Others, seriously, you're stuck home, and it, it is... <sighs> I, I can't begin to describe, it really is one of the most powerful movies I have ever seen. Uh, it, it genuinely is a powerful movie about the East German state and the the snoopiness of, uh, the, for, and if you don't know the history there, and I was a kid, uh, but I know how to read books. Um, the East German state was per, arguably more ruthless than the Soviet Union. 
And it essentially turned families against each other where kids would turn in parents, parents would turn in children, uh, brothers and sisters would turn in each other, neighbors would turn in neighbors, employees would turn in, and and it became a, a petty system where someone would say something arguably inoffensive and it would be reported as if it was a threat to the state. And people would be rounded up and interrogated. It just, it was a horrible police state. And to this day, you know, the Germans are far more likely to trust their government. In fact, I was reading a story about why, why is Germany uh, behaving so much better than everyone else in this? And and the virus, it's lots of people are getting it, but people aren't dying and, and things like that. And one of the big issues there is that people in Germany follow the law in ways we in this country rebel against. For example... Uh, in Germany, if there is a do not cross sign, a pedestrian sign that says do not cross, you will not see a German cross. The people who cross there are tourists, and the Germans follow the law. And thus it has ever been with Germany, but more so uh, the East Germans. And they're they're still coming out of that period of uh, the, the, the Stasi and, and communism. And the lives of others, y'all, you, you really need to see this movie. It's available on streaming services. Uh, you really should see the lives of others if you have not seen it. I'm going to have to check out Goodbye Lenin. Uh, but this this idea in this country of, of reporting your neighbor or shutting down Piedmont Brewery, selling produce and meat that's otherwise going to get thrown away because they don't have a certified state scale um, is, is bureaucracy at its worst and it's people at its worst to target a business that was providing a good service to people. Shame on whoever did that. I hope they eventually find out and publicly shame that person. (laughs) When we come back, let's talk about a cure. It is Eric Erickson here. Welcome back. The phone number 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Joining me by phone is Dr. uh, Derek Guillory. He is uh, with Root Causes Medicine. And Derek, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you, Eric? Great to have you. Uh, well, great to have be on the show. Thanks. I'm 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 great, and I, I was intrigued when I heard about uh, your company, Root Causes Medicine, and uh, the FDA allowing you guys to to look at an adult stem cell angle on COVID nineteen. And and first, if you could um, just kind of give everybody an overview of of what Root Causes Medicine does. So, I am a physician trained originally in emergency medicine, um, work in, in hospitals for a long time, and, and now all I do is functional and regenerative medicine, which is basically asking the question why people get sick, and when you ask the right question, um, you come up with the right answer, and, and so that's all I do all day is try to figure out why people are sick, uh, regardless of the illness. Um, and so that's included in this current illness. And so I just wanted to uh, speak with you today just because I have a lot of hope for the people that are um, living in fear from this virus and, and from any other number of conditions as well. So that's what we do at Root Causes Medicine is we try to figure out why people are sick and treat the cause rather than just the symptoms. Now, if you're if you're asking that question of, of why do people – why are people getting sick w- with this virus? Uh, so that's a good question. I think um, – you know, I saw a headline this week, probably the best headline I've, I've ever seen on the 
cover of the Yahoo news page, which was, why do some people seem to not be affected by the virus and others seem to get very ill and even die? And I thought, oh, my goodness, this is the best headline I've ever seen. I have to read this article. <laughs> and so I read the article. And, of course, um, it, it, it gave virtually no helpful information. It said, we don't know, which I don't think is the whole story. Um, it sort of begs the question, why do 10 people get exposed to this virus? Three people don't get sick at all. Three people get mildly ill and three people get very ill and maybe one person gets super ill and even to the point of death. And so the question is, why is that? Um, and my answer is that it, it's less to do with the virus and more to do with the host. Hmm. And what you want to do is correct the signaling in the host that's causing the inflammatory response to the virus. And uh, I've seen that happen um, in other similar illnesses and, and heard of that happening in this illness. And that's the reason why stem cells are so exciting in addition to some of the other things that I do, because they treat the host rather than just the virus. They treat the signaling response in the host and uh, with some really, really exciting results, actually. Well, you know, I, I know uh, that the, the FDA has uh, asked you guys to start looking into the stem cell angle, adult stem cells uh, treating COVID-19. And what are you seeing? And actually, first, can you give me the background of, of the FDA and connecting with root causes? So um, that connection is through a company called Celtex. So Celtex is a company based out of Houston that uses patients' own stem cells. We do a fat extraction. Uh, we, we purify out the stem cells that ex already exist in people's bodies. And then Celtex takes those stem cells, cultures them in a lab to, to make 100,000 stem cells into 200 million stem cells over and over again. And those cells are powerful enough and in large enough numbers to where they can correct signaling. So that's our connection with the FDA. I'm the principal investigator on two studies that we have registered with the FDA. One is a study on rheumatoid arthritis and the other is a study on this particular virus, the COVID-19 virus. Um, and we do, we're doing that study because in China, uh, in, in Asia, um, there have already been a couple of studies that were really exciting. They, they took patients with this virus and with another similar virus and treated them with uh, mesenchymal stem cells, very similar to the, the type that we're using here at Celtex. And they dropped mortality significantly. They decreased days in the ICU. They decreased um, requirement for ventilator and oxygen and ECMO and all those aggressive um, ICU-type treatments for patients. And so now the FDA has um, really encouraged, I've been, I've been encouraged by their response, which is they are looking at every possible treatment that might be helpful for this virus. And so that's my connection with the FDA is as the principal investigator on this study, which uh, we're hoping to get started as soon as possible. Now, you mentioned the FDA doing this, that they've come under a lot of heat for the bureaucratic red tape, but is your direct experience been that they actually are engaged in trying to get rid of some of the red tape to get these studies going? Yes, actually. Uh, I've been 
pleasantly surprised. Um, you know, the regulatory environment is is very difficult in this country. Um, I think more regulations exist every year. I'm right. sure you talk about that a lot on your show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, but when you get a crisis like this, um, they're looking at every possible angle, and they've they've really loosened up the the requirements just to look for possible treatments. It seems like that in my experience anyway. Now, so you, you mentioned these studies that they've, they've been doing abroad, particularly in Asia that, that shows some benefit, but now help me understand this a little bit is if you do stem cell therapy for people, does it have to be an individual's own stem cells or once it's refined, can the stem cells from a person be used to help other people? So good question. Celtex is involved only in what's called autologous mesenchymal stem cell um, treatment, which is using your own stem cells. There are um, other companies, and we are actually partnering with uh, or attempting to partner. We're collaborating with other companies that are using allogenic or uh, allogeneic grafts, which are using someone else's stem cells. The important part is just the power of the biologics and the cell therapies, which is they correct signaling. And they do it um, regardless of whether it's your cells or a, another person's cells. There are obviously benefits to both. Um, and so we just want to be able to develop this technology so that uh, more people can get effective treatment for whatever illness uh, you're treating. And the range of treatments is very broad. So that's probably the most common question I get, which is how in the world can this treatment treat rheumatoid arthritis and also viral pneumonia? Right. Well, you know, you know I, I wanted to ask you about that because for a while there, d during the, the stem cell debate of whether or not to use fetal stem cells or adult stem cells, and, and so much of the reporting in the media done by people who aren't actually doctors was they're a panacea. They, they, can, they can heal all. They can cure all. Uh, what actually can stem cells be used for realistically? So they are used for any number of degenerative conditions. And, and like I said, that's the most qu common question I get. The reason why stem cells are effective for rheumatoid arthritis and for viral pneumonia and for hair loss and for wrinkles and for um, multiple sclerosis is because they treat a primary deficiency. So we, as we get older, our stem cells are fewer in number and they're less potent. And so treating the causes involves fixing the number of stem cells and fixing the potency of the stem cells. In addition to some other things, it's all about correcting signaling. So the answer to your question is, yeah, they, they do treat multiple uh, conditions because they fix the signaling. They turn on regenerative healing signals and they turn off degenerative, painful, inflammatory signals, um, regardless of the condition, which sounds a little bit miraculous. And really, in truth, I, I think it really is. It's, uh, it, it's a pretty effective treatment. Now, so the FDA wants to look at this. And if I'm hearing you right, studies haven't begun, but they're going to begin? Our study with Celtex has not started um, 
I don't know if there are other studies ongoing. I don't think they are because we have been in talks with the FDA for quite some time to try to get these studies going. And so um, there, I know there are multiple studies that are being considered in the pipeline, including ours, and uh, I, I don't think they're ongoing yet. Well, I'm just, I'm, I'm fascinated by this, and, and I've got a friend of mine who, I guess, became familiar with the process with back surgery, uh, and used, it was, Celtech was the company, and just swears by uh, their ability firsthand to have improved his back uh, after that surgery, and, and I, I continue to hear from people who have used adult stem cells and, and it is somewhat cost prohibitive for a lot of people, but they show great promise. But I also, I'm, I'm always skeptical when, when I hear them, particularly media coverage of stem cell research, that, that it just basically cures all and solves all problems, which I know isn't true. And yet it does do so much. Yeah, obviously. So my great hope has been, uh, obviously, I, I don't. I'm not part of a stem cell company. I don't own one. Um, I, I'm involved with Celtex because I'm excited about the technology, and they have a great technology. But the key thing that I try to get the word out to my patients is, it's about correcting the signaling. And stem cell stem cells are a large part of that because they're so good at it. But there are many other things that I try to do as well to correct the signaling. We have to be able to turn off inflammation, to turn on immunomodulation and do all the other things that stem cells are really good at doing. Uh, they work particularly well when done in combination with other things that are correcting the signaling. And so... Yeah. yeah. Well, you, you mentioned rheumatoid treatment. arthritis. I, I, my wife actually has a, a my wife quilts and has a dear friend who's who quilts and has largely had to give it up because of rheumatoid arthritis. And and I realize that you're, you're here talking about COVID nineteen, but I just it's such a I, I've had members of my family as well deal with rheumatoid arthritis. And my goodness, what a what a disease that is. And it, some hope with stem cells as opposed to some of the terrible medicines that people have to take that that ultimately cause other problems. Yes, I have. Rheumatoid arthritis is actually one of my favorite things to treat because I have um, pretty good success with it when you fix enough of the signaling. So when you turn enough of the, like right now we're sitting here and our bodies, our cells are receiving signals. And they're receiving signals from what we ate this morning, from um, the Wi-Fi and the magnetic and the lights and everything that, that's around us, uh, from the stress right now that we're feeling and thinking about because of this situation. That is a signal that is causing our cells to do something. And so um, I use that as an example because when you correct enough of that signaling, you flip somebody's switch and they begin to heal. Uh, in some patients, you, you don't have to do very much. I've had young patients in their 20s with rheumatoid arthritis that were relatively uh, simple to flip the signaling to a regenerative healing signal. But, you know, patients that are older, obviously it's more difficult, but I'm, I'm with you. My, I have four family members that had rheumatoid arthritis, um, and that actually helped drive me into this type of medicine because I don't want to get rheumatoid arthritis. <laughs> yeah. And so I do everything I can to try to fix the signaling before it's broken. 
that's just, I, I, I'm fascinated by this. And thank you very much for your time. Good luck on the studies with the FDA on this. Any and all possible treatments out there for this this virus as it continues to spread. Uh, it's just, it's great to know you guys are out there looking at this angle. Thanks, Eric, for having yeah, me. I'm absolutely. Excited. Dr. Derek Guillory uh, with Root Causes Medicine. And again, this is, a, this is a treatment the FDA is looking at. They have not begun testing yet. The reason they're looking at it, as Derek said, is in Asia, there actually have been some stem cell studies done that showed particularly with those patients who are in severe situations, critical situations, uh, they actually have been able to show some progress and improvement. And they think it is in these situations, the stem cell therapy. They're not sure, but they think so. So they want to do research here in this country. And, And honestly, at this point, anything and everything to, to find more cures for this virus, or at least Im- things to improve people's lives while suffering the virus, uh, it's good to know the FDA is actually looking at this stuff and, and exploring all angles. Well done. I promise I will send out recipes. So text recipe to 33777. I, I really will. I actually, I, I two weeks ago, I went in and I piled them all up, and I guess I, I forgot to click the the button that pushes them out. But now I need to go back in. I need to add a, a recipe with Mrs. Griffin's barbecue sauce since they're sponsoring the show. I'll actually use their barbecue sauce. If you never if you've never had it, you should go check it out. Um, good good barbecue sauce. It's become a staple in our house. It's just it's the right balance, uh, particularly for a southern palate. It's it's perfect. It's an old family recipe. Uh, that they just ramped up as, as a business enterprise. And you can, I, I know you can find it in grocery stores in Georgia in large part because I talked to the owner of the company and, and he's driving around the state making sure that they're filled up as the supply chains are, are a problem. He was actually the first person to tell me this. And I've heard it now from so many people, including from our local publics, uh, that they're just, they're backed up. Uh, it's not that there isn't stuff available. It's that there aren't enough people they're now, every grocery store now, the supply chain has gone gangbusters, and they can't get the stuff on the shelves quick. Uh, and um, it's just, it's, 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 they're busy. Uh, by the way, I've noticed that Publix is now using Apple Pay. And I got to tell you, one of my frustrations with people using, so if you don't know what Apple Pay is, and, and there's, a, there's a Google one as well, but I don't use an Android device. It's contactless payment. Essentially, your phone becomes your credit card. It is way more secure. In fact, I can tell you that I use Apple Pay such that my credit card and debit card numbers don't get stolen. Uh, and there's even a, a local uh, Circle K gas station here in Macon now that takes Apple Pay at the pump, so I never have to pull out my card. But I've noticed more and more that in some places you can pay with Apple Pay, and if you run it as a debit card, you've got to you gotta you gotta enter your PIN number. You still got to touch the machine, which totally defeats the purpose. The less you have to touch stuff, the better off I am. Listen, I I don't want to go around in public wearing masks, but I am totally fine with never having to touch a payment terminal or a touch screen that everyone else is touching again. And thankfully at at my local Publix and actually even the local gas station up the street, the guy comes out regularly and wipes down the the touch pads and the screens. And then at the Publix and even the Kroger, I've been to two different Kroger's in the last couple of days, and they're wiping down everything all the time. But for the life of me, I can't understand why places like Home Depot and Lowe's that for a while did contactless payment with Apple Pay and and Android Pay, that they've turned it back off. I want them to turn it all back on. The Home Depot people, if you're listening at Home Depot, you should be turning that stuff on again so that we don't have to touch anything. Please. It's gross otherwise. Um, 
I don't like to touch that. Listen, I didn't like to touch that stuff before there was a global pandemic. I certainly don't want to touch it now, but I also don't want to be that guy that that goes around having to wear a surgical mask all the time. And maybe we've got to for a time, but we shouldn't have to. Um, before we get out of here, can I just note the media is having a love affair with George W. Bush all of a sudden? The, the George Chimney McBush Hitler Halliburton, that, that's what I have routinely called George Bush on the radio, because if you listen to the media commentary of George Bush through the Obama years and through the George Bush years, uh, they, they believed he was an idiot, uh, that he was no smarter than a chimpanzee or a chimpanzee was smarter than him. He looked like a monkey. He, he took money from Halliburton and was in Halliburton's pocket, and he was as bad as Hitler, and I, I just— uh, I started calling him on the radio, George Chimming McBush Hitler Halliburton. Um, he just, he, he's, it's crazy how the media savaged that guy. And he is a, one of the most decent human beings you will ever meet. And in 2005, he read a book about the 1918 Spanish flu and began preparing the government for global pandemic. And he gave a speech to the National Institutes of Health where he outlined the government response he wanted for a pandemic. And he began putting in place plans for the government to deal with a pandemic. And essentially, the media response is, why isn't the Trump administration following through with what the Bush administration wanted on the global pandemic? Well, the problem is that there was a there there was an administration between Bush and Trump. And it is the sacred administration you dare not question. So many members of the media came from that administration. You're not allowed to question why. What what was that administration? Now, what what was it called? Because the, the, it's the missing link between the Bush administration and the Trump administration's warehouse failures. You know all these dry rotted masks and and failures to stockpile ventilators. When, when did that was it? <gasps> Obama. Yes, uh, the the Obama administration never fully implemented the things the Bush administration wanted. For all of this talk about they set up a a National Security Council committee to deal with pandemics and all that, turns out that the Trump administration has still got that committee. They just consolidated groups together. They made it more efficient instead of having all these random groups in a multi-hundred-person National Security Council. They, they reduced the size of the National Security Council. They consolidated functions within it. They never got rid of it so much as the media told you they got rid of it. They never did. And it was actually a lot of the Obama administration failed to do the stuff that Bush wanted to. And they're leaving all that stuff out. It's all blame the president. You know, listen, there are failures here. We should acknowledge them. There are failures. But a lot of the failures are on the bureaucratic side. And if the president has a failure of leadership during January, we should note that he was doing what even Joe Biden's advisors didn't want him to do, which was shut down travel with China. He did that. And they blasted him for that at the time. Uh, this is this is all just it's it's the blame game isn't helpful and that's all anyone wants to do these days.